since it's been a couple of weeks, we do this every time anyway, we kind of give a little recap. So at the end of chapter 11, there started these debates. Uh, and it's with Jesus and these religious leaders. It is day three. It is Tuesday when all of this is happening when Jesus first comes to Jerusalem. So he first came, you remember that? He came to Jerusalem, he, looked, he came to the temple, looked around and left, comes back the next morning, and he overturns the tables, remember that? Now he came back, and there's these debates that have started. And we see, uh, was the Sanhedrin, uh, they challenged Jesus' authority. How dare you? Uh, and then last week you saw the Pharisees and the Herodians. They tried to trap Jesus in his speech. They, they questioned him about the coins and so forth. And then also we saw the Sadducees. They challenged Jesus about the resurrection. And so it didn't matter who they threw in there, right? Jesus just, you know, it's, it's like the saying goes, they brought a knife to a gunfight, you know? Uh, they just, they just, it's no competition with, with Jesus. And so he just continues to take these things on. It didn't matter if it was the Sanhedrin. didn't matter if it were, you know, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the, the Sadducees. It didn't matter. Jesus just takes them one at a time, and it's just brilliant. It's absolutely genius. And so this week, we see that there's another question that's being posed. And it starts in an interesting way. We're in chapter 12, and in verse 28, I'm just going to start off what, how this begins. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well. In other words, this is the first time that it's not a group who approaches Jesus. It's a single individual of those groups. It's a scribe. Is he there to trap Jesus? No. He comes because he's very impressed by the way he answered the, the Sadducees about the res resurrection. And maybe even he heard these other ones as well. But he comes and he, he's going to ask this very genuine question. So, um, so this is how this whole thing begins. So go ahead, somebody read for us verse 28. All right. The scribes, very serious about the law. Uh, it was very important to them. They studied it, I mean, like nobody else. They had a reputation, and they had that reputation in studying of Scripture uh, for a reason. So here's this scribe, and he comes up, and he asks Jesus this question. What do you think about the question that he has asked Jesus? How does it hit you? Does it seem strange? Does it seem like he's saying, well, Jesus, uh, which one of the, what, what in the law is really important and what's not important? That's the way it, it comes across. He does say here in the Greek, it's one word, most important. It means ranking above all the others. Now, for us, we don't, we, that's not our culture. That's not how we've gone about doing things. We don't try to rank things. But you have to understand and get into the mind of what's happening here. So let me show you what... Um, What's going on? Does anyone know how many commands were in the law of Moses? Somebody, somebody say it. Was it? Ten? Well, that's the start. There would be many more. 600, 613. So there are 613 commandments. And it, there's debate on that as to whether it's 613 or six, um, 611. 
and so 365 of these commands are negative. That's the thou shalt not, don't do this. And then you have 260, no, is that right? 248. I don't do math, y'all. I know you think with a preacher and he takes, you know, he goes through the book of numbers that I would be about math, but I'm really not. Uh, so there's 248 positive uh, commands. So what happened is that these teachers of the law, they would come in and they would try to determine which ones were heavy. This is a term they would use. Uh, or, or they might use weightier. Um, or they, they might use um, heavy or... Um, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Heavy or light. That's it. Light. Light commands. Okay? So I don't do math, and I don't, I don't do a lot of things, Mike. Uh, so heavy is talking about those that are greater. Okay? And over here, when he's talking about light, he's, they're talking about lesser. And, and they're talking about what is of the utmost importance. And which one, yeah, and which one is uh, the least um, importance by way of, you know, how these things work out. And, and we can really kind of take offense to this and say, well, that's just no way to do things. But Jesus actually, Jesus spoke in these ways, this way. He talked about the least of the command. This was something they did. But when we talk about those things that are heavier, greater, utmost importance, generally they had the greatest judgment upon them and so these these it was often that they would come to these famous teachers and they would ask them what is the greatest commands it's not that it's not that all the commands are not good and important and they're coming from God it's just which ones are weightier which ones are the heaviest and and we see this mentality all through um, all throughout for example um, this was um, I think it was, uh, is it 100 years? It was uh, 20 years. 20 years before the ministry of Jesus. I've kind of got this in here. Um, 20 years before the ministry of Jesus, there was a rabbi, Hillel. We've talked about Hillel before. And he says, look, what you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the entire Torah. Everything else is interpretation. So the Mishnah and the Talmud, they had these debates. That's what they did with these. It's not uh, considered scripture, but these, that's what they did. Here's a question, and then they just kind of all weighed in, and you could just read these things. You still can. Um, it's fascinating. Well, we see that uh, a decade after, which was in one, uh, 135 A.D., there was another rabbi. And his name was Akaba. And Akaba, he quoted from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that, that's the greatest, that's the most important. Half a century later, in one, well, what would that be, 65, 85, right? 185 AD, uh, there is a rabbi, and I do not know who this rabbi is. Uh, but he quoted from Proverbs, and he says, this is the most important. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. 
all the way to 260 A.D., uh, there's another, Simlaya. He is a rabbi, and he quotes from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And he says this, this is the greatest, this is the heaviest command. The righteous will live by his faith. So this, what I'm showing you is this is something that continued to happen. This is, this is how these things did. This is why this question is being asked. So how does Jesus answer this question? Is the, you know, does Jesus say, well, listen, all of them are important? Isn't that interesting? Jesus does not belittle what they're saying as far as something being greater. He says, no, that is. And, and, and so let's see what Jesus has to say. Somebody read for us verses 29 and 30. Okay, so Jerry, what is number one? Yeah, uh, love God. I'm going to say with whole being, right? Uh, your whole being is is what is uh, is is being stated here. And and something I want you to see is the word all, because he mentioned he says this four times. So anytime you see something repetitive, there's got to be something important, right? So he says, with all your heart, your, all your soul, all your... It's constituting the fully quantity or extent complete. Okay? So you, it's not just some of it, it's all of it. All of it that he's asking. Where does Jesus quote this law? Where does it come from? Do what? No, but you're in the right book. <laughs> or not the right book, but in that section. It comes from Deuteronomy... <laughs> 6, verse 4 and 5. It's known as the Shema. And you've probably heard this many times. Folks, he's quoting right out of this. And does anyone know why it's called the Shema? The very first word is hear. That's what the word Shema means. It means hearing or listening. Now, Mark does something here that's interesting. Um, Mark is the only one in the Gospels who quotes verses 4 and 5 when giving this narrative. And verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is not a command. That is simply a statement. And But by putting these two together, he's showing this was the Jewish doctrine. This was what was so important. And it, was, it also shows forth uh, that they believed in one God, a mon, uh, mon, monotheistic God. Okay? Um, but, but what I want you to see is, is what he has to say. You shall... Love the Lord your God uh, with, with all your being. And this is something that was quoted once they got into the promised land that pious Jews, they recited this prayer twice a day. They, in the morning and in the evening, they said this prayer. It's a very important prayer. Uh, it was also this very thing that King Josiah, the greatest reformer king of of all of israel this is what he was judged by look at that there's no king like him he turned to the lord with all his heart all his soul and all his might according to all that the law of moses um, nor did any like him arise after him so what i want us to see here is he says to love god with our whole being and in the shema what does he say love god with what what's the first thing with all your heart, that is to do with your emotions 
okay, your passions, to love what? What's the second thing? With all your soul, that's talking about your spirit, your very inner being, your, your life as it is. Uh, what's the next? Okay, what? Somebody said mind. Anybody say anything else? Okay, now if you notice, the word mind isn't here in the Shema. Um, Jesus or, or Mark adds this one in, the mind, and the mind has to do with the intellect. This is the only one that's not in the Shema, and then the last one is what? With all your strength, right? And that has to do with, with our will. So he, and so what he says is, this is to be done with all of it, okay? It, it, our whole self, every aspect of it. Another word I want you to see is the word with. He says with, and he says this four times. And it means from the source of, from the source of. I use the English Standard Version, uh, but the English Standard Version is probably not the best translation here uh, because it says with. Uh, and it's not just loving God with our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, but it is, comes from it. You see that? It's, it comes from that source. That's how we love God uh, and, and what this is all about. Okay, Jesus isn't finished, of course. He's going to say, you know what? I gave you the number one, but I'm going to go ahead and throw in number two. So somebody read for us verse 31. Okay, so Mark, what's number two? What, do what? Yeah, love your neighbor. How? As you love yourself. Okay? And so what Jesus says is, look, this right here, this is the sum, this is the heart of all the law and the prophets. This, this whole thing. And he quotes... From Leviticus 19.18. Alright? Now in the Old Testament, who was their neighbor? Do what? Yeah. Yeah, the Jews. It was, it was, it was Israelites. Now Jesus comes and he tells this parable and he expands the idea of a neighbor. Does anybody remember that parable? Was it? Yeah, parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, he comes, this, this guy comes, and, and he says, all right, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. And then, and then notice, you know, um, so what he says in a nutshell is that our neighbor is anyone in need. I mean, I'm bringing it all the way down to your enemies, your greatest of enemies. And he, so he's saying, anybody you see in need is your neighbor. Okay, and, and that's, that's how Jesus saw this. So Jesus saw that regarded the love of God and the neighbor, it is the center. It is the sum of all the law. In the Mishnah, it says the world rests on these three things. These are great. The Torah, sacrificial worship, and expressions of love. And what Jesus does, he not only says love goes above sacrifice and Torah, but he does not even mention them. He ignores those two when, when being asked, what is the greatest? And he gives two, and Torah and sacrificial worship is not given. 
doesn't mean they're not important. He's giving relative importance. He's saying love is the whole thing. If you can't love, then don't offer sacrifices. Um, Romans 13.8, Paul will later say, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves each other, what have they done? They fulfilled the law. See that? They fulfilled the law. Loving neighbor is the main way, folks, that we love God. Some people say, well, how do I love God? Is it just by coming and, and, and saying some words of praise to him? Not that that's not important. But God has always shown that if you really love me, you will love others. How can someone say, I love God, and they don't love their brother? Isn't that what Jesus says? And so we see that love, is used in our text, means to have great affection for. It means to have care for, loyalty towards. And, and we think in terms of, you know, okay, well, I love, I like this one neighbor who's beside me. You know, they've always been good to me. Is that what the command says? Is that the, is that the parable of the Good Samaritan? No. And, and we're not just to love them. It doesn't mean that we just, okay, we're not going to do anything bad to them. Because that is what Hallel it does 20 years before jesus you remember when we talked about that just a second ago he gave the negative aspect of the golden rule he says look just don't do to other people the way you wouldn't want done jesus says no treat them as you would treat yourself right treat them with the kind of respect that you want and you treat them the same way is that hard yeah, it's hard. Jesus is trying to, to show a whole nation what this is about. Because this is not, this is not easy. The parable of, the, of, the, um, of the, the Good Samaritan, it, they struggled. And we struggle if we're really honest about it. When we talk about this love, we're talking about the very essence of God. It's who God is. When we love our neighbor... With the love of God, the Ahava, then we we love them out of the very nature of God. You see that? It's huge. Jesus says, "There's no other there's no other commandment that's greater. There's none that's greater in size. There's none that's greater in, in importance. There's none that is greater in decree." All right, so. Find out what this scribe, I mean, they, you know, they got a reputation. Let's find out what he thinks about all this. Read verses 32 and 33, someone. Ooh, so what did the scribe think? He agreed with Jesus. That's a record, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's huge. And, and he agrees with Jesus. And what he says here, folks, this is big. He's saying that he believes with Jesus that love of God and love of other people, how we treat them, is more important than even sacrifices that are offered to God. And he says, if you notice there, burnt, sac burnt offerings. I want you to understand what that means. 
that means that this is an offering that was given completely to God. The worshiper was not given a portion. The priests were not given a portion. This was completely consumed to God. But he says that if it's not done in love, then it's meaningless. Right? So that, that's, what, that's what he's saying here. And, and here's, here's the thing. Jesus is not telling them something that's brand new. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, For I desire steadfast love, there's our, there's our hesed, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt, sacri- burnt offerings. So think about what they were saying here. And, and in other words, they are be given completely to God. And even the most sacred sacrifices do not take precedent over love. They have no meaning without it. At the time that Mark is writing, you've got to remember when we read these Gospels, Mark is not writing on a day-to-day basis as to what's going on and, and then passing them out to the readers. Folks, these came, you know, a few decades later. By the time that this is written, uh, the temple would have either been overtaken by outlaws uh, or possibly it had been besieged by the Romans, which was A.D. 70. If it had not been besieged by the Romans, it's happening soon. It's not very long, which is why the temple is already pretty much to a point of no function. So why do you think it was very important for, for, for these people to hear what he had to say about these sacrifices, what Jesus said, that, that fulfilling, that being fulfilling the law and the prophets is not based upon your sacrifices of animals at the temple. That the true fulfillment comes in how much and how we love God and how we are showing that love to other people. He says, that is where the true greater fulfillment um, it comes. Verse 34, somebody read for us. All right, is that fascinating? The scribe? What does Jesus say? You're so close. You, of all people, you are so close to the kingdom of God. Now, one thing is, he's not there yet. It's more than just agreeing with Jesus. There's something he still has not done, which is submitting his whole life to Jesus. He's submitting his life as Jesus is king and, and to all the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it also shows us that just because someone has a boatload of knowledge of the Bible and maybe have more knowledge of the Bible than anyone else doesn't mean they're in the kingdom. That you must be close to Christ. That's where the entrance comes. Not in my knowledge. Not in me knowing more than you. But it comes by, by coming close to Jesus because Jesus shows us the way. Jesus lived the way. All right, And I love the last part there. It says, after that, what happened? No one dared challenge Jesus, right? Uh, you know, they show up with knives at a gunfight. 
that's that's kind of how I see it. All right. We're getting ready to enter. Any any questions or comments about this section before we move to the second? Good. I have either confused you or you have explained everything. One of the two. I'll 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 accept the second one. Uh, what's what we're going to talk about now? We're not dealing with in worship, okay? Because I only have so much time in our. This is one of the reasons I love this class because I can I can do more in here. Um, but this is very important. We're just going to deal with the first section um, in, in, our, in the sermon time today. But we're going to, you get extra for getting up this morning. And I think you'll see that it's worth it because of what it says to us. It's powerful. Somebody read verses 35 through 37. All right. So Jesus... Has did, did you go all the way through 37? Oh, yeah, go ahead and finish that out. All right, they don't want any more Jesus, but Jesus is like, I'm not finished with you. And he goes on the offense. And he goes on their turf, the temple. And he, has, he sets the agenda. And what group is this? That Jesus speaks to. Do what? Yes. Do what? He's in the temple. What'd you say? No. Does the text not say it? Scribe. There we go. The scribe. Which is interesting because who's the one who came to Jesus and asked this last question? It was a scribe. Now Jesus is dealing with the bunch. And he's not doing it because this one guy has shown up. He's doing it because he's dealing with the teaching of the scribes, okay? And it was a very theological teaching um, that we find, and that is that the Messiah is the son of David. So here is this title, Son of David, and they say this is the Messiah. Okay, so they were right, but they were only partially right, which was, which was also very common, with with these groups it's the same thing with with um elijah they said you know why did the scribes say that first elijah must come they were right elijah must come what was the problem though they didn't recognize they didn't recognize elijah in the spirit of john the baptizer did they so here is it's the same thing they're right jesus Jesus is the son of David, but, but they, that's only partially true. And how they were teaching this was the part that was, was the problem. So they taught the Messiah would be the son of David. They are correct, but they still don't understand God's plan. And so the question, this question of son of David, where ha have we heard this before? Yeah, yeah, blind Bartimaeus. I wish I had a moon pie. I'd throw it straight to you. Uh, but yeah, I remember Bartimaeus. He, he, he's the blind man. He hears that Jesus is coming by, and he calls him son of David. Jesus doesn't correct him on this. And then there was another time where this is being referenced to. Does anyone know where? It's right after this. It's day one coming into Jerusalem. Remember the crowds? And, and they said... They said, there we go, blessed is the coming kingdom of your father, David. All right? Now, part of that, Hosanna, 
was a part of the Hillel. Remember, we talked about the Hillel. This second part was not a part of the Hillel. But the important thing to see is that Jesus quotes, uh, or Jesus is doing with them what he is doing with, has been doing with his disciples. He's telling them about who he is, his identity. He had asked them, right, who do you say that I am? Now he comes to the scribes, and he challenges them on their identity in calling Jesus the son of David. But what I want you to see is that they quote Psalm 110 and verse 1. Well, they, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 and in verse 1, and I'll just read it for you. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And if you don't know this, this is the most quoted scripture in all the New Testament. I would say it's kind of important. Wouldn't you? Right? And so it was originally used as, um, this is a, what's known as a royal psalm. If you, if you know much about the psalms, there are these royal psalms. This one's a little bit different than all the other ones. In fact, there's a major difference with Psalm 110 with all the others because in there, not only is it referred to king, but also priest. Okay? So that's why it's often considered a messianic psalm. But you need to understand that first, this psalm was used during the coronation of Israel's kings. So they would have these inaugurations, and this psalm, Psalm 110, was either sung or chanted or recited in some way. Um, and so the opening line, I want you to see this, the opening line reads this, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai. This is one of the reasons I like using the specific names and not the generic names. Because what he's saying here is he will sit at my right hand. So, here are these chairs. Dixie, are you impressed with my chairs? She was impressed before with my chairs. Uh, so here we have Yahweh. And based on this psalm, then the king of Israel... will sit at his right hand. And he's talking about symbolically that he is God's representative. Okay, this is what this psalm is saying. So he rules with authority, uh, with justice and righteousness by the authority of God. And so symbolically he is seen at the right hand of God. Okay, now um, that's all good and everything. Um, but, with, but there was something that happened in 586 B.C. Anyone remember what happened? Very important. Yes, keep going. What else? Well, destruction of what? The destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple. And also the destruction of the monarchy. Okay? So at this point, they don't have, and this is the way it's going to be as they continue on from 586, even into the time of Jesus' ministry, they still do not have a king. Okay? You see this. So here's what happened. This is why I point this out. is because now, Psalm 110, they changed. And they now no longer used it as the coronation of their kings because they had no king. And they said, this is the Messiah. Now that's okay because that's the way Jesus is using it. <laughs> and I think that was going to be its 
its full intent, um, uh, even at that. But this here, this is going. This is going to be the Messiah, whose kingdom is going to come. It's not going to fail like the Davidic kingdom had failed, right? And it was the this interpretation Jesus uses. The Messiah is the one who is the Davidic deliverer. And he's going to rise up, and it was prophesied by God to David. He's going to establish an eternal kingdom. And, and on we go throughout Jeremiah and other places, and we see that this is what they taught. Now, we go back to Son of David for a second. Uh, and the first time we see the phrase Son of David is not in the Old Testament. It actually comes in the intertestamental times. This is why I say intertestamental times tells us so much what's going on. And we've referred to it before, the Psalms of Solomon in uh, 1721. And this was uh, 100 years before Christ came. So 100 years, um, all of a sudden here is this term, the last 100 years, the son of David. And these scribes are teaching that the son of David is is the Messiah. There was also something else um, that happened, and they had the, the Jewish prayer book. The Jewish prayer book is known as the Amida, and it came out somewhere around the same time. And uh, Amida, spell check that. Uh, but Amida, let me let me pull back. The Amida was these these um, eighteen benedictions. They were prayers. They were recited, recited three times a day by the Jews. Okay. And by the way, Amida means standing prayer. Can you guess why? They stood while they prayed. Yeah, see? See, you guys are just brilliant. Um, but the 14th benediction, this is what they have been praying for the last hundred years. Three times a day, have mercy, Lord our God, over the kingdom of the house of David, the Messiah of your righteousness. They have really, in this intertestament time, they have been awaiting the son of David, the Messiah. And the ones who are shouting to Jesus, blessed is he who comes, blessed is he who is bringing the kingdom of our father David, they needed a revised version of what that meant. Because this kingdom of David was military. It was political. All right? But there was something that was coming um, that was even greater. And let me say this. It wasn't just them. The early Christians, they saw this the same way. Jesus came from the house of David. He came from the throne of David. He is the seed of David. Okay, so we, we see all of these things. Um, and it's not that that's not true. It's just they needed a greater understanding of what that meant. So let me break down the question. Okay, let me break down the question that Jesus is asking. If David who is believed to be the author of Psalm 110. If he said, based on now this understanding, since this time, that Yahweh says to my Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If David's the one who's saying that, he's referring to Jesus as what? As Lord, Adonai, right? David was a prophet. David spoke about 
the one who's going to come. And David calls him Lord. That means he has, he has authority over David. He is, he is the one who is the, the authority figure. It's more than him being the son of David, folks. Jesus is telling them that what David points out in Psalm 110 is that Jesus, or the Messiah, is the son of God. And that the kingdom that he brings is not the kingdom of David. He is ushering in the kingdom of God. See that? See, see why that's so important? He's not come to lead a military campaign. He's the son of God. He brings an eternal kingdom with him. That we now, not just Jews, but non-Jews can all be a part of. And this kingdom, it rises up in every kingdom of the world. Does anyone know where the fastest growing uh, church is in, in the world? Iran. It's popping up in places where we see even the most immoral of leaders. I say Iran, maybe it's Iraq. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, folks, the, and other places, China. God's kingdom is growing in kingdoms where they're trying to take away Christianity completely. You see this. This is greater than David's kingdom. This is not people who live in a certain land and then they're just going to go to war and they're going to fight everybody that they can in order to get more land and everything. No, no, no. His kingdom is eternal and it's rising up among all the kingdoms of the earth. He is not just the son of David. He is the son of God. Oh. So how do the crowds respond? Gladly. Okay, that, I looked that word up. In a willing manner, as being pleased. Now don't get too crazy about this crowd yet, because just in a couple of days, they're going to be shouting something else. But right now, they're listening. They're listening. And, and after Jesus resurrects from the grave, some of those very people are going to be the very ones who are going to enter the kingdom of God. And possibly, we don't know, possibly even the scribe who is so close to the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your son. We thank you for your kingdom who has now come. We thank you, Father, that we can be a part of it and that you save us and that no matter what happens around us, no matter what happens around the world, we know that you are king, that your son is king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, it's him that we trust. And we know that one day that all the kingdoms of the earth they will bow down before your kingdom. Until that time, Father, we await and we trust you and we have faith that the one that you have sent, the one who is of your very self, that he has come to save us. And Father, we're so grateful and we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.